Hi everyone, uh, welcome to episode 22 of the Uncommonly Common Conversations. Uh, tonight's episode is going to be on uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. Um, we are joined tonight by uh, Julian. Uh, do you want to say hi, Julian? Hey guys. Uh, Matt. Hey y'all guys. And uh, a special guest tonight is Michelle. You'd like to say hi. Hello, how are you going? Now, um, Michelle is a special guest for a number of reasons. So not only is she the first woman guest to be on our podcast, which is very exciting after 22 episodes, but she also might be the first woman to listen to our entire show back to back. So I'm very, very excited to have you here, Michelle. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Trying to help out. Yeah. So we're really trying to diversify our audience. Um, and as the other people who come onto the show know that our audience growth is purely based on pyramid schemes. So the idea is we bring one person on who then brings someone else on and we just have this really natural incremental organic growth. So yeah, we'll see what the numbers do now that you've been a special guest. Um, what's everyone been up to in the last couple of weeks? Not much, man. Getting back to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Matt, you can't really complain. You've been on holidays for like the last six weeks. It's been nice, not going to lie. It's been, but I've, I have been, you know, writing up this new curriculum for the study design that, that's just been released for my subject. So, so that's, that's been a bit of fun. But um, yeah, just, just little bits and pieces here and there and uh, trying, to, um, trying to enjoy the last week of my, of my holiday before back at it again. Oh, hello, man. Uh, Julian, what have you been up to? I finally started God of War Ragnarok, and it is addictive as hell. Uh, where has it been all my life? It's one of those games where it's so consuming that I just can't stop thinking about it, and I'm not motivated in work. My certificate for right I'm dating very seriously now. I should be gymming a lot more, and I just can't think about anything else but this. So pray for me. And um, how far how far into Ragnarok are you? I'm exactly two and a half hours in, Reese. And yep. yeah, it's overwhelmingly addictive. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, Michelle? Yeah, so just um, had some time off over Christmas and New Year's, and now I'm just getting back into work at the hospital, um, moving house this week. Um, yeah, just kind of easing back into things. Um, I had COVID. For a few weeks, so um, a little bit of a break from uh, climbing as well. So I'm getting back into that as well, and yeah. And when you say climbing, that's like yeah. wall climbing. Yeah, that bouldering. Bouldering mostly. Um, yeah. So do we all know what bouldering is? Yeah, yeah. It's like the indoor rock climbing without ropes, and you just do it over oh, these cool. really thick mats. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever fallen? I've also off? done a little bit of. Oh, have that? you ever like fallen off yeah 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 people fall off um but it's quite safe like yeah. you fall in the right way kind of just falling with your um feet sort of shoulder width apart and you bend your knees and try not to do anything with with your ankles yeah. you don't roll something but yeah i'm pretty i'm a pretty safe like cautious climber as well like you so see you've got static climbing and then dynamic and um something looks a bit risky i tend to just like i'm like that's enough i'm gonna go down now so. oh, lovely. and um yeah. you've been playing zelda as well too yeah yeah so i we've had tears of the kingdom like since it was released and i've only just started playing it 
I don't know why I was like like almost procrastinating starting this game. <laughs> I think it's just so it's so ex like such an extensive like world and I've seen so like Joel's been playing it and um some of the game mechanics that they've introduced are just so cool. Like you can fuse weapons together and you know make like flying contraptions and it's really cool. Um so yeah I've started getting into that. Um haven't got very far in it yet, but very much enjoying it. Yeah, that was the main kind of activity while it was off with COVID. You're on for a very, very, very long road ahead. <laughs> yeah. Have you played it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Still, I'm still, still playing it. Like I, I finished the main story. I'm just trying to do all the side quests and things currently, and uh, yeah, there's just, there's just, there's just so much to do. So, so yeah, enjoy it. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a great game. Yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm trying to stick to the main quests, like, at the moment, and then every now and then I'll go on, like, the side quests. But, yeah, there's three maps to it, so it's super extensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, happening? Just been playing a lot of Cyberpunk. Uh, I'm sort of at that point now where I've, I've just passed the 50-hour threshold, which is a lot for me for gaming. Um, and I've... I, I finally hit that that sort of that um that crossover period similar like with The Witcher where you become so OP that you need to boost the difficulty up in the game, and so I've sort of now started trying to increase the difficulty of it because it's sort of um I found this with The Witcher three once you get to about level thirty um well thirty ish with your character the, the the base game just doesn't scale up with you, um so yeah my I've I've sort of come to the thing where I. I'm not going to go back and play Cyberpunk once I put it down. Like, I've done the hours for it now, so I sort of just want to complete as much as possible, kind of just finish it, and then not, like, 100%, obviously, because, like, fuck, doing that, that's way too much. But, yeah, I sort of just get to the point where I kind of want to just finish this game now and put it down and then sort of just never think about it again. And that's not to say it's a bad game. I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it. But, um, yeah, it's definitely got to that point where it's, uh, yeah, I, not, I kind of need to start wrapping it up a little bit to move on to what's next but also i'm really addicted to it and i don't want it to end and so i'm kind of in this weird sort of half spot with it at the moment um and yeah apart from that just been uh reading books so i'm reading uh there's this book on stalin uh by a guy called professor stephen kotkin that it's like an 1100 page autobiography that covers like the first 12 years of stalin's reign um i started reading that in 2019 and i've decided i'm going to finish that now so i've got about 100 pages left to go uh, but it's not fun reading because it's about Stalin. Um, and so it's one of those books where you kind of like, you read it and then you get really depressive because hundreds of thousands of people have died like within those chapters that you're reading. And then you kind of just want to go and read something light. So you're not just thinking about this like dictator and like the Soviet Politburo. But my goal is to now finish that book. So um, that's, my, that's my commitment to myself by the end of sort of January, February. Yeah, and right, just light reading. Yes, yes. And then my next book I'm going to try to do, um, I think I'm going to do June part two. So I want to get that one done just to kind of get myself psyched up for uh, the, the movie coming out in a couple of months. Um, but I don't think I'll read past part two because I've heard that this, the series goes a little bit um, like like crazy once you start getting into part three onwards with the June books. But um, I did really enjoy part one. It was just that was enough Frank Herbert for me once I finished the first book last year. It is very dense. Yeah, it, it's that, um, like, I, I really liked it from an ecological perspective, but it was just all the made-up words and all the made-up metaphors was very hard to, uh, it was very hard to keep track of. 
Um, and, and yeah, that, that's really that's, that's really it's been about it lately. I did watch uh, Sicario again on Friday night with my cousin, which was um that that movie is stunning. So I'm, I'm trying to watch um like we're going to do a Dennis uh, Villeneuve podcast um sort of in lead up to Dune Part Two. So I'm trying to watch all of his movies again at the moment because I yeah he's absolutely love that guy as a director. Have you have you seen many of his films, Michelle? No. no. Um, so he did uh, June um, from a couple of years ago, um, Arrival, Sicario. Uh, he also did, did he do Blade Runner as well too? Was that him? Yeah. So the sequel. Yeah, the sequel. Um, so he's really, we sort of, the joke is, is that he's kind of, he's kind of what Christopher Nolan actually wishes he was as a director, just in terms of his consistency. Um, so yeah, he's a brilliant, oh, don't, don't, don't shush me. Don't, Chris, Chris. Yeah, I know. And you know what? He should listen. He needs the positive feedback, okay? If the Palestine woman can say that Tenet was shit, he could take some positive feedback around uh, Dennis Villeneuve being a more consistent director because I'm sorry, Tenet was still not a great film. Um, awesome. Anything else before we dive into tonight's episode? No, oh, lovely. Uh, so, Jordan Peterson. Um, now... John Peterson is a oh, sorry, Doctor John Peterson's and he's he's an interesting public figure and and he's someone that I don't think could have really existed pre social media and pre YouTube. Um, he's very much a he he's very much a um, a reaction to changing technologies and in my view a reaction to um, the decline in the the role that the universities play in society at the moment. Um, so just as a, a little bit of background, uh, Dr. John Peterson, uh, sort of came to prominence in 20, late 2016, early 2017 in response to a, uh, bill that was being proposed to the Canadian parliament called C-16, which was effectively a compelled speech bill. Um, and he came out as a tenured professor, uh, effectively against the bill because his, his view was, was that anything that compelled speech was inherently bad. And so there's a clear distinction in his mind between what you can't say and what you must say. And Bill C-16 was uh, heavily linked to the idea of trans identity in Canada. And as soon as he came out, he became um, almost by default a, a, vo a perceived vocal opponent to the trans community because his view was, was that you as a person should not be compelled to effectively acknowledge how someone else chooses to identify now that's not to say that you shouldn't do it it's saying that you should not be compelled by the state to do it again in a nutshell that's kind of sort of the origin of his political oh sorry his sort of you know prom his rise to prominence now what ended up occurring was that um this happened sort of in parallel with uh the rise of donald trump in 2015 2016 and what could be described as the new media on YouTube, which was effectively a, a spin-off of um, independent podcasters or independent journalists that were creating more prominent YouTube presence because the ROI for YouTube was starting to get cut through. So some of these people were doing numbers that were bigger than most of the news networks. And Jordan Peterson got very quickly absorbed into that sphere. And so this is where your sort of your Dave Rubens come into it, your Joe Rogans, those sorts of those sorts of people that have what could be described as independent platforms talking about issues that were being, if not censored by mainstream media, at the very least they were not being 
encouraged to be spoken about. And one of the things that happened with Jordan Peterson is that he released his entire back catalog of psychology lectures, which were hundreds of hours of his content over years of being a professor of psychology at University of Toronto. And so when he started to rise to prominence, on, on one hand, you had someone that was, you know, let's just say became a darling of the new right, even though I don't really like that term. But on the other hand, was also talking about um, Jungian psychology. He was talking about uh, the role of um, authoritarianism in politics and its link to psychology, um, as well as providing uh, practical counselling advice for people. And at least in the beginning, a lot, of, a lot of young men were drawn to this because he was filling a educational um, and academic void that a lot of people felt like they were missing. That's certainly what drew me to him as well too initially. Um, so without sort of going too far down the Jordan Peterson origin story, uh, there's two other things I'd like to sort of mention about him just to sort of to kick off the conversation. Um, he's... Over the last seven or eight years, one of the things that I think that he's done quite curiously is he's become a vanguard for a renewed interest or contemporary interest in uh, Christianity and um, agnostic, or sorry, Gnostic thinking. And so a lot of what he has done is using the language of psychology and the language of academia is reinterpreted traditional biblical stories in a way that provides a form of connection to a more, let's just say, um, I don't want to say advanced audience, but a 21st century audience. And so a lot of what he's, he has done is found a way to repackage a lot of very traditional Christian Stoic teachings in a format that has widespread appeal to predominantly young men and to a an extent that I don't think is spoken enough about women as well too. Um, so that's one part that he's done. Another part that he's done is he's also highlighted inadequacies in media and journalism. And in particular, he's, he's highlighted that a lot of journalists are heavily focused around telling a narrative and then having him perform a role within that narrative. And so one of his most prominent and noteworthy interviews was in, I think it was 2017, 2018 with a BBC journalist called Kathy Newman. Um, and what I might do is just for context, I might just play this, this first clip. Um, and this was, this was sort of his real mainstream breakout moment because he, he highlighted this idea of the way that the news media straw mans anyone that, they're trying to perceive as having a view that isn't lining up with what the mainstream media wants. And so I'm just going to quickly play this, this clip from Kathy Newman interview. Uh, you, is, is everyone able to see the YouTube screen? Uh, you might have to hit accept, Michelle. Awesome. To freedom of speech, trump a trans person's right not to be offended. Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. 
Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, but you get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But I you're exercising you your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think more power to you as far as I'm concerned. You haven't sat there and... I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a while. It did, it did, yeah. It took a while. You have voluntarily... You have voluntarily... Why should your right to free... So that's one excerpt out of about a 17 to 20 minute interview. Um, but the, the background around that clip in particular was, was that that original interview that aired was about six to seven minutes long. And in the original airing of the interview, Jordan Peterson loses every single point Kathy Newman throws at them. Now the BBC, um, for reasons that have never really been defined, um, also then released the unedited version, which is the full 20-ish minute long video. Um, and one of the things that became really obvious was, was that the longer form video started to rack up views exponentially higher than what the short film was. And so what became very apparent about this was that firstly, people actually have an appetite for long form conversation. But secondly, it started to really, at least in my mind, break a lot of the illusions as to the role that traditional media plays when it comes to discussing issues. And so Jordan Peterson um, has kind of found himself in this spot in the last five to six years where whether, whether he's wanted to or not is always that we could, we could discuss that during here, but he's he sort of acted almost as a surrogate for a rejection of grand narratives that a lot of people don't hold to be true, but are told to us because that's effectively the narrative of the media class. Now, um, does anyone, anyone have anything else to sort of like to, like to add about sort of that origin of Jordan Peterson before we, we move around the circle? I think you've, I think you've uh, hit all the points there, Reese. Um, yeah, like, I, I think, seeing where where he's gotten to i don't think and this is this is going to probably sound a bit weird but like i don't think um you know the <laughs> i don't think he intended to for, for this to happen the way it has like you know it was yeah. um and he's i think he's become a bit of a scapegoat for um for people just wanting to put put you know say oh he's like you know the voice of the right wing I don't, I don't think he's ever really identified as right wing in, in as per se. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite interesting how he's how he's perceived now and um, and and where he's gotten to. Yeah, it feels um, Michelle go for it. Oh no, you go, you go. Um, I think like what Jordan Pearson said there was he really touched on the the crux of it, which was you know, I have a right to say something that might be offensive and you have a right to say something that might, you know, subjectively I might find offensive is, you know, that's that's democratic, that's the the, the freedom of speech. You know, that if you're saying something that you know will, will offend someone and, and there's, you know, it's racist or it's sexist or something like that, that's different. But if you're, I mean, 
it's the freedom of speech. Is it what I say might offend you? What you say might offend me. And yeah, you know, I'm just agree with you. Uh, uh, Julian? That speech felt quite powerful to both sides because everyone has been in the position of both of them where sometimes we have been attacked and have our sins amplified. And sometimes in an emotional state, we might accuse someone of doing something even though they haven't really done it. So it was a wonderful learning lesson regardless of whatever political uh, side you're on and whichever side you felt yourself most, most empathetic to. Um, so I feel like that clip really blew out from an educational point of view as well. Here's how you um, assert yourself uh, live in front of millions and calmly do it and still respect the other person. So everyone gained by watching that video. So it kind of struck a lot of points there. Well, um, one of the things I sort of, I asked uh, a few days ago when we were playing this episode, uh, was for each of you to kind of have a bit of a think around something that's been impactful that John Peterson's spoken about. And, you know, uh, there are people that, um, you know, I'm, I'm friends with that think that John Peterson is a uh, right-wing grifting puppet that's effectively trying to exploit the suffering of marginal communities in order to try to grow his fan base of angry white men. Um, on the other hand, there are also people that I know that um, very legitimately the stuff that Jordan Peterson's spoken about has, uh, you know, without being too hyper, you know, without too much in the way of hyperbole, has brought them back from the edge of ending their lives. And so I think that there's, he, he evokes a lot of different reactions depending on probably the, the avenue in which you came and you discovered him or you were introduced to him. But what, I, what I'd like to do is sort of just go around the room a little bit and just, I'd just like to ask each of you just to sort of talk about something that evokes something that Peterson has spoken about. And that could be, that could be positive or negative as well too. He's definitely not, he's definitely not a saint. Um, but Matt, I might, might, might ask to start with you, please. Yeah. Um, well, Look, I knew a little bit about him previously to when we first started talking about him, you know, Reese, and um, I didn't know, didn't know a whole lot. Like, I knew he existed. Um, from what my, uh, some of my other friends have told me, that I use a complete, you know, right-wing Nazi, this, that, and the other. And I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of person that likes to, um, you know, take everybody on their merits. So I started listening to his stuff, you know, went through his book um and basically i was like wow this is actually really good like he's he's not <laughs> he's not the uh the, the 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 complete nazi people are saying he is and um and it's re it's really kind of you know put it put within me like he's like he's someone that you you can actually listen to and, and talk to because I, I like there's no one kind of so one point that's really struck me with him it's more his understanding of the world and um and basically it's it's coming like he's a he's an extremely smart man he's he's a you know he's 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 been a uni lecturer for a bazillion years he's you know he's he's not he's not uh you know he's not a nobody like he know he knows what he's talking about and and he and he back he has proper you know things to back up his claims and and you know it, it's proper you know research and um and I and I'm a strong believer of you know saying what you feel you know like it's it's um you know you shouldn't be 
one person should be shouldn't be allowed to say something if like for example in that in the, in the video we, we just saw before like you know um she's kind of saying you know saying all, all these bad things to him um and he's like well why can't i say these things um you know and and that, that really struck a chord with me because like it's uh, especially with the world the way the world's become uh, it's, it's going really really you know pc and and um uh you know it's it's kind of completely put a spin on things of, oh, hang on a minute you know what this is you know in, in a lot of things some some things we're going quite mad um you know and why should we be controlled in the way we, we, we respond to that like that's that's um that's ridiculous and and uh, yeah i i think i think that that's really strong accord with me Reese, over the last you know few years you know being being really into his stuff and and is there is there something specific that he said that's uh, that's that's grabbed you or that's hooked into you and i you know you, you kind of you did kind of allude to it this the start of what you're saying that you know uh quote when when you started talking about him reese um i know that's the origin of a lot of you know a, a lot of this stuff but i am just curious is there something that that he has said specifically or something that he's sort of discussed specifically that has has stuck with you Yeah, look, there's a few points. Um, one one point was basically, and alluding, I mean, Michelle, you alluded to this earlier in the uh, like pre pre the, the pre show. Um, basically, you know, just kind of sorting yourself out first, and you know, getting yourself on that on that you know, on the right trajectory first sets you up, and and, and I, I think that's a really really um, important point. Uh, also. <laughs> I mean, you got you guys know I'm like a uh, I'm I'm a teacher and um and like and I, I see I see different things that you know happen at, at you know with with all different students and things and um and and basically you know it's it's interesting to see um for me from as a teacher's perspective um you know seeing him as a in, you know because he's a he's a clinical psychologist um the you know the impact that that speech and things have on people um and and and, and how people want to be perceived and how people how people want to identify as and, and how people want to um people want others to people to, to see them as and, and that's that's totally cool like, like whatever but um the, just the, the way that you know i think the, the the power in which speech can have uh you know it's it's that for me is probably probably the most important um thing uh and if we're being denied our ability to talk, you know, it's it's, it's kind of living. We're living in a more, um, you know, constrained society than what people are trying to think we are. If that makes sense, Reese. So, um, you know, saying, oh, you know, you can't do this, but it's okay to do that, or you can't speak like this, but you can speak like that, or you can't, you know, X, Y, Z, um, really, um, really exemplifies, you know, kind of the the real dynamism in in society today. When we try to be really open and 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 uh, progressive in inverted commas, but we're actually you know being more constrictive than ever. Um, and the fact that he's out and out saying that and saying, "Hey, look, you know, this is the world. You know, see it." Um, um, it just it's it's really it's really really struck me. And like a few of the things like on the on the Joe Rogan Joe Rogan podcast, you know, I've seen I've listened to his episodes. Um, some of the things he said and and you know, the impacts things have had on people and. Um, you know, like so his 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 proper case studies that 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 he really brings up, and it's 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 just as a as a human, you have to think of wow, that's that actually that actually happens to people, and um, it, it makes you kind of think, 
in different ways about how everything can how the world works so um so yeah i'm over uh, i've become a bit of a um i've become really interested in, in in what he has to say and 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 will be for the for the for the, for the future thanks man uh julian now i know um you've you and i have had sort of i don't want to say differences about jordan peterson but we have spoken about him previously is there I would like to imagine that your your views on him have probably evolved a little bit over time. So, like, how how would you think that? So, how without trying to put words into your mouth, what has kind of your um your relationship been with with him over the last few years, and how may that have changed? Sure. I think what you may be alluding to is that I am probably the most center left out of all of us in this room, um, and I still am. And Peterson was probably the first center-right commentator that I really dived into. And he really opened up my eyes. I left my echo chamber. I was more open to different points of view. Um, and I, I will always respect him for that. Um, he hasn't changed dramatically for me in the last few years. I think now with his Daily Wire Association, he's definitely bought into uh, a firm center-right stance. Uh, we need to eliminate some of the left ideologues. I think in one of, the, one of his clips, I think he, he outrightly says that. Um, whereas previously, I think what Matt uh, said just now was that he comes across as someone who actually does care. He's got a lot of research back behind him, behind him and he wasn't previously very center-right. It's like, hey, I'm here to help people. I'm here to like genuinely save you. And it just so happens I'm center-right. Whereas now it's like, okay, I'm definitely center-right. And like, if I say you're not, um, it doesn't come across the same way. So, but still, I still appreciate it. Still respect him. The two things that have really helped me from what he's shared, is, the first one is how precise he is with his words. Besides his university lectures, where he is prone to waffling in all other forms of speech, I feel like he's very, very articulate in the way that with every word he says, there's probably a lot of meaning. There's a lot of power that he does not waffle on. I'm someone who used to waffle a lot, and now I've learned to just kind of be more precise. And that word to meaning ratio is a lot better. So that's the first point. The second point is that sometimes it's okay to be a monster. Not in a bad way, not be a monster all the time, but hey, most of us, we're generally good people. Most of us, we're generally nice people, but sometimes we need to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more of a monster in order, to, in order to win or get our way, or sometimes to actually save someone else, you need to be the biggest in the room. Um, and it really shaped my understanding of good versus bad. Uh, you have to be good all the time. Sometimes it's being just that little bit bad actually gonna help people uh, more in the, real, in, in the long run. Um, so that was a very interesting point and that's something I'm still trying to unpack as I go on. But yeah, those are the two biggest points for me. Just to, just to unpack the um, the political component a little bit, and I know I kind of said before um, before this episode that I I find that the the politics of Jordan Peterson to be I don't want to say the, the the least interesting part of him because I think that politics is important, but for me I've always found that politics is sort of downriver of personality, and you know something that you can you could you could pretty accurately predict someone's politics based on their personality do you feel that your personality has changed in the last few years 
and and I say that in the sense that you know one of the you know it's a little bit cliche, but you know, I I used to be bizarrely I used to be a lot more conservative than I am now, and so I've kind of had a I've kind of had a bit of a weird thing where I've actually found that I went from far more right wing to far more centered in some cases left wing on certain issues. As I've gotten older now, in certain areas, I am so far right wing that I would love to get my American citizenship so I can vote for Trump next year. That's not hyperbole. If I could do it within the year, I would. But on other issues, I, I found myself I've actually become a lot more progressive than I would have been when I was twenty. But I don't necessarily think that's the case for for yourself, Julian. Like I would actually, you know, from, from the conversations we had, I, I would actually find that you've probably become a lot more conservative on a lot of issues over the last few years. Have you found that that sort of exposure to Jordan Peterson is something that's potentially influenced, not necessarily the evolution of your stance, but maybe the broadening of what your views are around certain things? That's really well said. Uh, I was centre-left. I still am centre-left, but I cross the floor on certain topics and take a more conservative stance on some topics. Peterson definitely was influential. And through Peterson, just learning about other centre-right principles and um, empathizing with a lot of those. Yes, he's definitely been a gateway drug. Yeah. So, so to quote Kathy Freeman, so what you're saying is that you've been radicalized by Jordan Peterson on YouTube. Totally. <laughs> totally. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for indulging me with that one. That was like 90 seconds of build up for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michelle, now I, I don't want to be, um, uh, I'm very conscious that one of the things that Jordan Peterson does talk about is uh, the danger of uh, collectivism and the danger of group identity. And something that I'm a very firm believer in is, is that group identity, there's nothing inherently good about it. However, something I'm really curious to ask you about um, as, as sort of part of your, as part of your response is it's two parts to the question. First part is um, what is something that sort of Jordan Peterson has spoken about that has kind of struck out to you? Um, but then, but then the second part, and if you're if you're comfortable with that, please, is that I would like to ask you sort of more from from the feminine perspective. What is it that makes Jordan appealing from a feminine point of view? And I, I think that from a masculine perspective, it's very for me, it's very clear cut. A lot of what Jordan Peterson talks about is inherently around. Um, responsibility, shouldering burden. Um, it's very, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be too derogatory, but at least to me, it's, it's very practical lessons that your dad should be teaching you. So I found that a lot of his stuff is very much yeah. masculine orientated in that case. And so that's one of the things I've always been interested about from a, a large portion of his audience are women and arguably a very silent, large portion of women. And so I, I would just be sort of curious to sort of um, try to get an understanding of that from a sort of a more feminine perspective. What is it that you find appealing about about him? It's specifically on the feminine perspective. Uh, so, well, maybe maybe sorry. I'll, I'll rephrase the question. Sorry. Um, it, it's yeah. very easy to understand why Jordan Jordan Peterson appeals to young men. Um, mm -hmm. what I'm curious about is that what would the appeal for Jordan Peterson be to young women? Good question. I think a lot of what he represents is this drive or desire to really get to, to the, 
to what actually gives you meaning in life. So I think regardless of gender, I think that should appeal to everyone if they're they're really willing, if they really want a meaningful life, essentially. I think in that sense, it's it's sort of genderless. Um, I think the things that he talks about that specifically relate to gender are, are things to do with, I guess, the traditional female role in, um, you know, uh, child rearing and, you know, that kind of balance between having a career and starting a family. And I think he's spoken a bit about um, how, um, I guess, a group of women tend to maybe place, in his opinion, too much stock in their careers and they kind of leave the the, the starting a family and, and being, a, you know, a mother, sort of that gets sort of left by the wayside. And I think he very much feels that, you know, having a family actually brings a lot of meaning to your life and it's perhaps, in his opinion, the most meaningful thing you can do. Um, so I think that's something that a lot of women, uh, those opinions, it's good to sort of be exposed to them, I find, because it does help you grapple with that. But whether you agree with it or not, I think it's good to have that represented somewhere so that you can actually reflect on that and understand for yourself what that means and whether that is something that would give you meaning. So I think specifically in terms of the, the feminine or female community, that's what I would imagine might appeal to some, some women. Um, I think also, you know, um, just speaking in terms of like the insult community, um, women want strong men. Mm -hmm. So I think in the sense it also gives women maybe an idea of what they what they might desire in a partner. All these sort of attributes, um, these qualities that Jordan Peterson um, is a proponent of and, and tries to encourage men to become and, you know, these qualities that he tries to encourage people to develop in themselves. I think that also appeals to women, um, you know, in terms of what, they want in a partner and what they want to be for themselves. Um, like I said, I think it is those sorts of qualities about, you know, taking care of yourself and really looking, being introspective and um, getting yourself in order and, and thinking about what gives you meaning. That's all stuff that starts with you. And it's also stuff that you want in a partner reflected back to you. Yeah. That's what I just want to add to that, what you were saying, like, it, I think it makes the point clear that it's, it's it's not a bad thing to to have a choice to do to have a family or not like it's it's not a bad thing that that oh so you're gonna not make as much money as a man because you've chosen to have a have a child the benefits are out, you know outweigh the money you make and and mm -hmm. um if for in in you know in, in most ways you you, you get something beautiful and um and you know I think that that opinion um really puts a lot of people on edge because it's just like well. You know why? Um, why is a man saying this? You know, you, you know and I, and I think I think that's mm. I think that's a, another thing that that really that really triggers a lot of yeah. people with him. Um, I think when um, yeah. Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, you go, you go, you go, you go. I think some people, like you touched on there, they they see a man telling, you know, women to have children, and they don't take it well. Where, like you said, I think the the feminine stance is that we have a choice. We do whatever we want to do. He's simply saying that in his opinion, 
you know, he's, he can come across as a bit blunt, right? He'll be like, what the hell are you going to do with the next 40 years? <laughs> Which is a good question. It's a good question to pose to yourself. What are you going to do with those years? And, you know, having a child and having a family, they're very immediate, very direct and very tangible ways of giving yourself meaning. It doesn't mean that it's for everyone and it doesn't mean that it's suitable for you. It's just something to grapple with. And do, do, do you find that there's... Do, do do you find that from again? Apologies if I'm asking you to generalize, because no, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not certainly not trying to ask you to speak on behalf of all women. But is, is there something about Jordan Peterson that it's not that it's necessarily? I don't want to say grating because I don't think that's the correct way of framing it. But just to sort of ask you to kind of expand on, you know, th this is this is advice effectively male advice on female behavior or male advice on you know, the consequences of female choices. Is that something that men shouldn't really be commenting on because ultimately we're not the ones that are inherently beholden to whatever the outcomes are of those decisions? Mm, that's a good question. So you, do you mean specifically with like child rearing, like the choice to actually I mean, start I mean, a family? I mean, child or to prioritise that over a career? So... They're, those are inherently the same thing in a lot when when push comes to shove those are inherently the same thing because at a certain point your ability to have children begins to diminish at a certain time just biologically speaking and so a lot of what peterson talks about yeah. is you know you you don't want to you you want to avoid the regret you you know that's kind of what his message mm -hmm. is is that you don't want to be in a position where you do get to 40 and realize that you wanted to have children 10 years ago and that your career isn't fulfilling and your career is not filling that that hole the way that not whole but that that the, that career is not filling that part of your life the way it used to and, and so i'm just i'm just sort of curious you mean sort that of, mean yeah from sort of like uh, more from the female perspective like how that advice comes across particularly when it is coming from you know a man as it were yeah. um i think perhaps i'm i'm not a very sensitive person when it comes to that sort of thing in terms of um, people making political statements that are that affect women, I think I just because I don't see it as a personal attack on every woman. I kind of just see it as well. I can take take that or leave it. You know, that's someone's opinion. Um, it's a very personal choice whether to have a child or not, and there's it's a very complicated issue as well. You know, how fertile you are. Um, whether you're financially and emotionally stable. Um, I think in this economy as well, to have children, it seems to be more and more difficult to even um, provide for them. Um, so I think personally, I don't take offence just to a man expressing an opinion about what a woman should do with their life. Um, I just see it as an opinion. Um, yeah, that's see, I me. think that's, that's the point. Like, isn't that, isn't that his point? Like, you know, you know, stopping one people from saying something like you know, the whole, whole controlling speech, controlling what people say. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that that really comes into play there. And um, to add to mm -hmm. your point, you know, like it's it sh it shouldn't matter what you choose to do. It's it's, it's up to you. You know, hell, if guys could could give birth, I'm sure a lot, a lot of guys would do it as well. You know, but um, that they that they can't. No, I've um, seen the process. So, we would, we would run for the hills, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, we, yeah, we got, well, we got the good deal by working and providing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's, um, yeah, I, it's, it's just, it's a really hard kind of, you know, kind of the kind of thing to, to say. And, and because, and I think another reason why he's so inverted commas controversial is because he's, a, he's saying this. Um, and if, if it was just one of us saying this, we'd be like, oh yeah, whatever. But because he's such a prominent figure, I, I think they use this yeah. as cannon fodder to, to to just to just try and bring him down even more, um, which I think is utterly ridiculous. Like he's you know he's he's a he's a he's he's you know got doctor before his before his name. You know he's 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 a well he's a well educated, well versed you know individual. Um, doesn't doesn't matter you know dog, cat, human, alien, whatever. If you if you've got you know stuff backing you up to say it, then yeah, absolutely and. Um, and he's, he's not he's not trying to be derogatory or, or anything in, in terms of saying hey you should have kids like you know it, it, it's not a, it's not a bad thing that, that he's saying it's it's just um you know it's it's just it's just just what he says like everybody's everybody can 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 say what they want and um, I just I just love that whole you know, contradictory thing of like oh you can't you can't say this the, you know the whole controlling of speech yet um, <laughs> that's exactly what the whole point of what he's trying to do is so it's um, and he's also giving men the same advice about hey men you should also have kids so it's not like he's just saying it to women like go do this oh, no, yeah. doing the same thing with men so he believes in having a family and having that nucleus family and he just has different audiences that he's trying to advise yeah absolutely yeah that's exactly it yeah he, he's someone who has a family and and obviously derives great meaning from that um and believes that other people would find meaning in it yeah. and is there something michelle that he's um that something that he's specifically said that's really sort of you know struck a chord with you or that's, that's resonated with you mm. yeah i feel like there's quite a few things but um like i was saying before um we started the podcast i was listening to his um interview with Chris Williamson today and he said something I really liked which was find out where you're stupid and you can stop being stupid <laughs> um and again that sort of characteristic um Jordan Peterson bluntness coming through there um just don't be stupid <laughs> and yeah I think it, it it just comes back to the this idea of understand where you're insufficient and then try and rectify it um, I think we've all been in situations like personally or professionally where, you know, things haven't gone the way we've wanted them to go and you can sit there and, and sort of put your blinders up and think, well, that wasn't my fault, Nothing, you know, it's nothing to do with me, it's whatever's out there. Or you can look inside yourself and, and think, this is my contribution to the outcome and this is what I need to do to kind of, you know, do something different in the future. Um, so I think that's so important because that touches so many areas of our lives. Um, just the ability to introspect and reflect and be really honest with ourselves about where we are and who we are and what our triggers are and um, how we want to show up in the world. I've always found that there's something that he said, he stuck, uh, he said which is that um, everything you do and say matters. And it's something that uh, to sort of just ex expand a little bit on 
sort of the theme that you're discussing there, Michelle, is I found that he has a extremely powerful way at encapsulating the idea that every small action that you do leads to an outcome, whether good or bad, and that the decisions that you make in the moment to do something, to not do something, to respond in a particular way, it all matters. And things accumulate over time in a sort of a positive or a negative direction, depending on what you're aiming for. Um, and I might just quickly just play just a clip, just to sort of elaborate a little bit on, on this theme for a second. You start with a little humility on the path of incremental improvement. And you know, incremental improvement compounds. And so you can get a long ways. And, and then it's, you see, because trajectory in some sense is more important than position. For human beings. I mean, if you're starving to death and, and, and deal, that's not the situation that I'm describing. But, you know, if you've got the bare necessities of life and so you're not, you're not surrounded by absolute privation, what you really want is to see that you're on an uphill path, you know, something that's got the right slope. And, and, and you can start anywhere on that path. And you, you can improve half a percent a day or a quarter of a percent a day and you think well that's not very much it's like it's a hundred percent if it's a quarter percent a day it's a hundred percent in four years and that doesn't count compounding you know which means it's yep. actually going to happen a lot faster and so, that's duplicatable anybody can do that anybody can do that well, that's not just uh, applicable to the most talented person or the least no talented. i anybody think can i do think that. that the possibility that you can make yourself slightly better on a continual basis is I think that's something that's accessible to everyone I, I think that's equivalent to leading a virtuous life and you know I talked about the terrible catastrophe in some sense of differences in intelligence and differences in conscientiousness and so forth and the the downside of the meritocracy but there is something to be said for virtue and truth you know, and, and that is one thing, another thing that I've noticed about people who've been phenomenally successful is that they really do, they really do everything they can to live a truthful life. And that, you can get a bloody long ways by being honest. I think that for me personally with, with Peterson, oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, I think for me personally with, with Peterson, a lot of a lot of the value of what he brings can be probably summarized in um, the concept of sin. And this is this is where I mean by the way he repackages traditional Christian uh, thinking and, and Christian um, I don't want to say methodology, but the operating system that defines Christian practices, if I was to use a, a bit of a, a bastardization, whereby you know, sin is something that's clearly defined as missing the mark. And so when, when, you're, when you talk about sinning, it's you've missed what you're aiming for. And so in the concepts of Christianity, to commit a sin means that you've, you've missed the goal of being a good Christian and following the teachings of Christ. Peterson broadens that into something that becomes a little bit more practical and everyday, which is this idea of, you know, you need to clearly define the goal that you're aiming for. You need to be able to entrench that because if you don't define 
the goal that you're aiming for, you're not going to be able to hit it. And if you can't hit what you're aiming at, it means that you're sinning. And so I found that with him in particular, there's something that's the, the value for me is not necessarily the politics. It's not necessarily, you know, his position on, you know, contemporary issues. For me, the value really comes from the way that he's effectively managed to repackage and repurpose very traditional, you know, I will say Christian Western values in a way that cuts through and makes sense to me being a 32-year-old Australian in 2024. I'd just be sort of curious, you know, does does the sort of the the more Christian component of his messaging does that, you know, are you conscious or unconsciously aware of that when you're thinking or when you're relating to what he's talking about? I don't think it's like I mean, yeah, it's got it's got Christian you know thoughts and messages behind it, but I think those messages for for most kind of religion really like it's just it's you know don't be a dick you know just be a good person and try and, and you know better yourself every day i think that i think it's the same with with virtually all you know all, all religions and and, and even, even you know just general practice like you, you, you know as humans we strive to be we strive to be good um about confidence but we, we we strive we strive to 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 be a good person to to be a mm. to be a valid member of, of the world to, to to just be someone that okay. that that you right. know it's, so... it's it's it's, it's it's what, good. So what defines a good, I, I think I think that, that message in particular can. Matt, what defines a good well, person? Because that's that's the, that, that's, that's very... the point where it comes into it. It's very easy to say that religion is around trying to. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off here, but I just want to just want to really nail that down. You know, it's not to say that re religions are about being a better person. That's that's a very arbitrary sort of statement. You know, everyone inherently wants to be good yeah for the most part it's what's what defines being good I was trying is to, where I, I think he's done a remarkable job at cutting through yeah and i and, and i would i would completely agree with you I, I, but i also want to say like for example you know it's i'm not i didn't mean to generalize about all religion you know being the same in in that in that instance it's 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 more you know the yeah, the the messages behind you know just it's it's about you know trying to to be the best that you can be essentially right so um you know and and then that will that will differ for every single person on on, on the face of the earth you know you know what I mean it's 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 not going to be um it's not going to be the same for me to you to to everybody anybody listening to this um but I, you know I think just that the main the, the main principle of you know what it's it's inverted commas what you can what you perceive as good you should try to aim towards um and i, and I think i think he's i think he, he explains that and, and exhibits that very very well um so you know it's a very um what's the word uh it, it's it's very subjective uh, what being a good person is but um you know in the in, in the in the grand scheme of things you, you know it's it's all kind of similar in in how um you know you, you know i mean if you're looking at it from, from the abrahamic religions you know the uh the um that was called the uh ten um ten commandments right so you know thou shalt not steal thou shalt not kill the, you know blah 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 there were kind of rules as to to, to be 
here to not to not sin, right? So, um, you know, life, you know, and, and especially you know, Christian like like countries with with Christian values and stuff, they kind of still in the even in the legal systems follow that. You know, thou shall not kill, thou thou shall not you know steal, thou shall not you know X Y Z. So, um, I think I think that that message you know provided you kind of on that trajectory of of being you know somewhat you know. You know trying to, to not to not do terrible things, you know, subjectively, um, you know, you're you know, you can you can live a quite a prosperous life and 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 and, and a life that, that can reward you. Um, but in the in this in, in saying that, you know, that's subjective to everybody. So like everybody can can view that completely differently. So uh, but I, you're right, I do think uh, and I'm sorry and I agree with you. I, I do think the way Peterson puts it and, and he crosses the line with um, you know, like you know, weaving in and out of the, out of the, uh, the the you know that that religious you know, Christian point of view, um, I think he does it. I think he does it excellently, and I, I think I think it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. And I think he, he does a great job with it. Uh, Julian. Hmm. Yes, I am acutely aware of his Christian background, and it comes forth in most of his messages. Maybe because I am looking for it. Um, as someone who no longer identifies as a Christian, I've gone away from Christianity. I do not look at it as a bad thing uh, at all, his Christian messaging. I think it's it's done really well, and I really appreciate it because everyone is biased in some way. If you're biased in favor of religion or biased against religion, that doesn't mean that your message is any less. There might be something to learn. So it doesn't detract from, for um, my ear. And... I appreciate it. And, and Michelle, do you have any sort of views on sort of the, the, the Christian undertones or the religious undertones that sort of underpins a mm. lot of his messaging? Yeah, I think Jordan, he really uses that, um, those religious kind of fables to, you know, he likes stories, right, um, to convey a message. So I think personally, I'm not really a religious person, um, but um, I think as a as a tool, as a way of conveying the message and getting through to um, an audience, I don't see a problem with it. Um, I think when I was re I was trying to read his one of his books, the Twelve Rules for Life, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah I found that one. I found that specifically difficult to get through because of the biblical references. But when I'm listening to him speak you know, in an interview, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, but that particular book I found a bit difficult to kind of um, navigate the, the biblical aspect. Yeah, um, I, I but yeah, I just think it's a way of conveying a message. I found, unfortunately, with his books, I found that they, they probably do need a more aggressive editor. Um, he does have a he does unfortunately have a bit of a, a tendency to self indulge with his passages, but you know. But you know, if I also had yeah, a tangents, I know yeah. if I had a, a fifteen twenty million dollar bestseller as well too, and the type of platform he would, I would certainly be indulging. So who am I to judge? <laughs> um, well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, like you touched on, you know, he talks about sin and he talks about having faith it's you know faith that you'll be able to deal with whatever's on the other side whatever you encounter in life whatever challenge that is um that you'll be able to face that 
um, navigate that obstacle and to get to the other side, find the learning. Um, Well, I might just show one last clip just for just for discussion. And this is um, I, I want to show this clip because I think that this is a good example of um, his his practical, grounded counseling advice and something that you know I, I'm very I'm very prone to my own anxiety about what I'm doing and my future and the way I'm trying to approach my own misgivings about decisions I've made. And I found that, you know, for the last six to seven years that I've been listening to Jordan Peterson, this is something that I keep coming back to is this one particular message, which is it's not necessarily meant that I haven't made the right decisions or the wrong decisions, but at least it's helped me to, you know, not go into a bit of a, a pit with regret and self-doubt. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to play this last clip ideal that you're observing that makes you jealous and resentful is in large part an illusion that's created by your own mind. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday and not to who someone else is today. Make yourself slightly better on a continual basis. And see, that's a game you can win. The ideal that you're observing that... And again, I, I do love that there's an endless assortment of motivational music Jordan Peterson clips is a wonderful resource YouTube, but effectively yeah. what he's what he's really talking about in this is this idea of you know it's one of his it's one of his teachings from Twelve Rules, which is um, you know don't compare yourself to someone else today, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, and and it keeps coming back into this idea of your positive trajectory, which I, I you know if you're going to really encapsulate a lot of what I think Peterson's messaging is, it's effectively this you know. Aim for a better version of yourself and don't get distracted by, don't deviate from that aim. And where I found that this has become really, has really struck me is that, you know, you, it's very easy to look at someone that's doing better than you, maybe professionally, financial, financially, physically, academically, whatever it would end up being, and start to feel, you know, not, not resentful or jealous or anything like that, but just start to feel inadequate in comparison to others, you know they're doing better than you in the hierarchy. And what I found with his message, which has really struck for me, is this idea that, well, no, you shouldn't really be comparing yourself to anyone else. You should be comparing yourself to your own self. And what really matters is not how well, you, how well you're doing today, it's how much better you're doing today compared to yesterday. And just as sort of a, a bit of a final um, talking point, because we've just crossed over an hour, I've just sort of, I'd just like to like throw it out to you. Just, is there anything about that messaging that, potentially jumps out at anyone or is that something that sort of struck strikes a chord because it's been it's been a mantra of mine now for about six or seven years absolutely I, you know i it, it's it's one of those you know you know it, it's it's a thing that sticks in your head like you know i'm gonna i want to do better today i like you you can wake up in the morning and you can memorize that quote and be like you know what this is what I did yesterday. I'm like, okay, I, I probably could have done this better. I'm going to make myself incrementally, incrementally better by you know, doing this. And, and it, it, it makes you kind of plan. And I, I feel like personally that message for me makes me plan my, you know, my way of getting better and, and allows me to, to take to, to be accountable for my actions and, and say, and how can I make myself better? Um, and because, you know, he's right in, 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 in that because at the end of the day, we are all our own biggest critics, right? 
you know, when, when we look at when we look at it, you know each other in the, ourselves in the mirror, um, when, we, when we when we when we actually sit in bed and close our eyes and think about the day and, and things like that, you know we are our biggest critic. Um, and by incrementally making ourselves big, you know better every day, I think that's I think that's a great message, and I, I'm I'm you know 100% all for it. On the shop. Well, I mean, I'm already. I think because I know that I'm better than everyone else. I know I'm kidding. It's a great message. <laughs> uh, Michelle, any any sort of final comments or? Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. I think it's it's um that idea that you know the baseline you should be comparing yourself to is like you said, who you were yesterday, that's the only um, reasonable control that you should actually be making that comparison with. And I think there's um, this sort of growing problem, especially with social media, where we're really we're seeing the outer life that people represent, um, which is almost always a misrepresentation of what's going on <laughs> on a deeper level. And comparing that to our inner life and, you know, what goes on behind closed doors and, you know, what we contend with every day. Um, so it's never it's never a fair comparison anyway because we don't have all the data. You know, we don't know what someone else is contending with um, and, and how that actually compares to what we contend with. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very healthy way to approach life. There are habit tracking apps I've discovered that help you gamify this comparison to whom you previously were. So if you needed that motivation and you could not will yourself to do it mentally or just by sheer willpower, um, downloading an app kind of helps. I actually had a business idea about that one. I was like, you know what? I'm addicted to games. I should probably do something with my life. How about I create an app that helps X gaming addicts <laughs> go through life and then i look through the app store and there's quite a few apps like that right there like ah okay <laughs> you, you, I, uh, you, you thought about it um and yeah that's the main thing so i um thank you i had i had a moment um probably around april may of this year where um, i was playing with mason on the ground and i i hurt myself um i did a stupid old man thing where i twisted my back and i was useless for about two days afterwards and so I kind of said to myself around April, May that like, no, this is ridiculous. Like I've got to be strong enough to physically play with my son. Otherwise I'm useless to, to him and I'm useless to Allison. And so, you know, using by Jordan Peterson's, it was, you know, I wanted to, my goal was to be able to do, you know, unassisted pull-ups by my birthday in January. So I figured, you know, that's six to seven months to get my strength up. And I've actually hit that point now, a couple of weeks ahead of schedule. So I was very proud of myself, but um thank you I'm, I'm actually now uh, from a from a, a tracking perspective i'm actually now the fittest and strongest i've been since i was 23 so i'm very very happy with that um but a lot of that was purely based off peterson it was purely based off that idea of clearly defining a goal setting something that's a realistic trajectory and then tracking and comparing so you know you have days when obviously you're feeling weaker and you're not pushing the same weights or pulling the same weights that you were but you're able to see that trajectory that over time you are getting steadily and steadily stronger. And 
I found a. You know, I, ha I have met him as well. I've, um, I did meet him in person um, in his first tour out to Australia, and you know, I asked him whether he was a any awareness of whether he was a cult leader or not, and he kind of very um, laughed it off and said that he doesn't meet the clinical definition of a cult leader, um, which you know I found quite comforting. <laughs> um, but you know, just to sort of to, 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 to sort of talk about some closing remarks, you know, I, I think it's probably. I think that he's he's one of those he's one of those rare individuals where I think that the the value of what he brings is something that is very unique, um, and I think that he is a he came at a peculiarly interesting time at least in in my life and I know for the life of a lot of other people and you know without sort of going you know too religious into it I actually had the opposite thing to you Julian where. I've actually become more Christian as I've gotten older. So I've kind of rejected atheism and I've actually become more Christian as a result of Peterson. Um, and so I, I've just found that there's always been this sort of um, underlying subtext with him where he seemed to be someone that came at a point in our culture when someone like him was needed because I, I couldn't imagine what the last half of, you know, last eight years would have been like if... I didn't really have access to, to his teaching and his resources. And that's not to say that I think he's a prophet, just for context there. I'm not trying to overinflate and say that he's been sent by God or anything like that. But I, I do find it... But he has been. Well, I mean, depending on how literal you want to take the Christian component of it. But I, I found that, you know, just as a sort of a closing remark, there's, there's something about him which is very unique to the times that we're living in at the moment and the technology and the level of connections that we have. And I don't know whether he would have been someone that would have been relevant 10 years earlier. And I don't know whether he would be relevant mm -hmm. if he appeared today. So I just, yeah, that was sort of just my closing comments. And I might, I might just go around the room. Is there anyone, anyone else have any sort of closing remarks about Gino Pearson? I, I know tonight's been a very broad discussion um, yeah. about yeah. him, but just sort of broadly, is there anything sort of any sort of closing remarks or things that might've popped mm -hmm. up? Look, in, in terms of what you just said, Reese, like uh, coming from an art teacher's perspective, you know, the best artists w weren't really known until they were gone. You know, like they, they were, uh, they weren't really appreciated in their time. Um, and and I think like a lot of people are really coming around to Peterson, and you know, you know, whenever whenever he you know, goes, or, or if we you know, unfortunately lose him at at some point, the, the world's going to realize, hang on a minute, he was actually you know. Well, this is actually really good. So, um, just he was—I think he's ahead of his time in 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 the, in the fact that, like, I think his timing was perfect to for for him to exist, um, and for for him to be doing what he's doing. Um, I I just yeah I think I think if you listen to his message and and you know actually really listen to him talk and have an understanding of what he's you know what he's basing things on. You know, you don't have to agree with everything, but it's you know at least it allows you to have open debate and open you know open discussion, um, because you know he's giving you that that stuff to talk about. So, um, yeah, uh, he's he's yeah someone who I who I quite listen to quite often. That's fair. Uh, Julian. Yeah, agreed with Matt. I think there's value in listening to him, despite whatever political or ideological stances you have, because it's good to escape the echo chamber, as I uh, am trying to do constantly. Um, and in looking at his book list again, I think Maps of Meaning is something that I'm now, in this part of my, my life, interested in. 
because it says that the book combines psychology, mythology, religion, literature, philosophy, and neuroscience to analyze systems of belief and meaning. And to me, I feel like at my age of 32, I'm just well-versed enough in each of those topics that I probably derive a lot more meaning from it than I if I were to have read it 10 years ago. So yeah, I think that's now going to be on my list. So I can it's been a copy. wonderful... I've, I've got a copy of it if you'd like to borrow it. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I just as an extension to this, I would love to do a, a an episode just based purely based around like Solzhenitsyn and um, Dostoevsky and basically the Jordan Peterson reading list, which we didn't even touch the literature stuff in this episode. But yeah, definitely love to have a chat about that stuff, Julian. Um, Michelle, um, any sort of closing remarks? Um, well, I think like you said earlier, um, what Jordan Peterson means to each person depends on where they've kind of found him or where they've been in their own lives. Um, and I think that, you know, if you kind of disregard the the controversies, um, the teachings are there, they're accessible, like you said, um, with the, the kind of advent of um, social media and, and YouTube, um, they're there for whoever wants to kind of engage with them. Um, and I think John Pearson is, is fairly innocuous. As a person, I think you know quite the opposite. I think he has a lot of positive things to offer people who really need a lot of positivity in their lives. Mm. Awesome. Well, well, thank yeah. you so much for for uh, for joining me for this discussion tonight, Michelle. Thank you again. It's um it's lovely to have you on the on the show. If you ever by all means, if you ever <laughs> like to join our episode, just please let me know. Um, I think I think oh. next fortnight is WWE, so we're going to be having us. <laughs> We're going to be having Sam is going to be walking us through the the upcoming competition this weekend. So um, I'm very excited to find the outcome of that. Um, but yeah, by all means, Michelle, feel free. <laughs> um, okay. But no, no, thank you all for coming tonight. Um, it was a pleasure. Um, awesome, guys. I'll, I'll finish recording, but if you guys want to hang around for a sec, we can just have a quick chat. Awesome. Good night, everyone. Thanks. Bye.